0: Sixteen years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic Splash. Unsuspecting Friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org local.
2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello and welcome to Recall This Book, Collaboration Edition. Uh, I'm John Plotz, flying solo today. And um, along with our upcoming conversation with composer Francisco Del Pino, this conversation is going to inaugurate a series of what it's like to work together write together, make art together. So coming from a world of lonely makers, so not just the novelists I write about, but all the scholars who study them alone in book-lined rooms, I've always been really jealous of, well, people like my own journalist brother, who works with a team to come up with a shared product. So what better way to overcome my own fraternal issues than to interview a prize winning pair of journalistic brothers, uh, Steve Fineru and Mark Fineru Wada. Welcome to Recall This Book. It's great to have you. Thanks, John. Thanks. Thank you, John. It's great to be here. Okay, so I'm going to begin by introducing Steve because he and I have been working together at Princeton this fall. And in fact, like some kind of Graham Greene characters actually living together in this <laughs> weird apartment building, um, we do everything but drink vermouth cassis together at the end of the day. Um, so, Steve needs no introduction, or maybe I should say he needs many introductions. Um, I'll just say briefly he won a 2008 Pulitzer for an amazing series of stories about American private contractors during the invasion of Iraq, and that he, along with his brother, wrote a best selling book that I'm sure many of our listeners know about the NFL cover up of concussion trauma, League of Denial, which won a 2014 Penn ESPN Award for literary sports writing. And Mark is equally impressive. I say that even as an older brother, but I have to admit the younger brother is <laughs> equally impressive. After breaking the Balco steroids scandal in 2004 and five with his colleague Lance Williams, for which he nearly went to jail for refusing to reveal sources, he wrote a 2013 bestseller on that topic, Game of Shadows, Barry Bonds, F- Balco, and the Steroid scandal that rocked professional sports. So apart from your groundbreaking concussion work, Both of you have many other fantastic stories in the past and are currently at work on um, some other stories. For example, I think you're working on the NBA in China that I think are no doubt gonna draw further attention. Um, There's a ton to talk about. I want this conversation to go wherever the best stories are, Um, but maybe we can begin at the beginning. And so this beginning I thought of is like, what's the first story you guys worked on together?
2: I was at ESPN already, and Steve thankfully joined. They were doing a big push to hire, um, you know, a bunch of uh, really talented writers, and they hired Steve. Um, you know, not long after he would won his Pulitzer, and and I had gotten assigned a story that were, that ended up sort of hatching League of Denial, and um, and in the course of doing the reporting on that book, Steve had just gotten hired. I came back from doing the reporting on that story. And I told Steve about the experience and how somebody had suggested we write a book about the NFL and brain damage. And, and um, you know, Steve had already written two and, um, you know, is really good at conceiving books and I, as, as stories as books. And so um, we sort of shared this idea and then put together a proposal. And, and in the course of doing that, we started to work on the book together. And we're also working on stories for ESPN. ESPN was supportive of the project. And so, um, we ended up in addition to the reporting for the book, we were producing stories. So I, 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 don't know exactly what the first story is. Do you remember? Like, I think it was, uh,
1: I think it was the story about how, when we were, we started to report the book. And, um, so we were doing a lot of traveling for the book. And we went to interview a lawyer who represented the first NFL player who was later diagnosed
0: with um, neurodegenerative disease, Mike Webster. And um, this did l- you guys go together because you always travel together, or was it a special? <laughs> well, is, I mean, it seems like a big deal for two reporters to go out.
1: So. You know, it's interesting because like we we do seemingly usually travel together. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're we're so we it, it, we went to Morgantown, West Virginia. And we, this guy was operating out of like a kind of a converted firehouse. And, um, and so we were just almost like at that point familiarizing ourselves with the story. And uh, this guy pulled out a bunch of documents related to a disability case that um, he had filed against the NFL. So he pulls out these documents and um, we could tell immediately that the NFL had been handing out um, they, they'd been handing out millions of dollars in benefits to uh, NFL players who had been diagnosed with neurodegenerative disease related to their playing careers, while at the same time the league very publicly and emphatically was denying that NFL players ever get brain damage. And that was, among other things, it was the, the central focus of a class action lawsuit um, filed by players against the NFL. So that was, I think, that was our first story. We wrote it as a news story for for ESPN. I mean, I would say that, like, even though we hadn't worked together um, before any of this, and you know, we had been working as you know journalists for both of us, you know, for well over two decades at that point. You know, we were constantly talking. You know, we're really close and sharing ideas, and we had talked about wanting to work together and um, we had like edited each other's stories. Wow. I, I helped edit Mark's uh, first book. And um, so we, we, we did a lot of stuff together. So I don't think actually, I mean, it was, it was great that we were fine. We always wanted to do a book together. So it was great that we were finally doing it. But I think actually the process itself, it didn't feel that unusual, like that revelatory. Cause I think we had been, we had been talking about journalism together for so long. Um, that it really came naturally to us, particularly the
2: reporting. Yeah, I think yeah. the reporting, especially, yeah, I, I think that's right. The book, I think, is a different animal, but the reporting, for sure, was pretty natural. You know, and we and we fell into a groove of the, the sort of areas we we either felt more comfortable in or people we knew that we were going to call, and the sources sort of separated pretty naturally, almost in an odd way. Um, it was pretty natural, strangely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually, I was going to ask you that about this sort of sorting out. So how would you divide that? Cause I know in any collaboration, there's like implicit division lines, but what, yeah, what did, did you, did you sit down and sort of draw that out or how do you, how do you figure out how to share it out?
2: I mean, I think for, there was different animals for the, for the book, it was an entirely sort of different process, but for stories, it would seem to sort of almost organically happen. I mean, we had, we, we, we just sort of developed a series of sources between us. And then if there was a question of who was going to call who, we would just say, hey, you know, here, you take these three and I'll take these three or whatever. And we were constantly talking about the story. So we were always on the the same page, you know? And so I don't think, and I also think like, you know, we've talked about this a bunch around both with ourselves and other colleagues that like so much of this kind of reporting is really about trust. Mm -hmm. I think when you're working with somebody else and if you don't trust the person, that's just you know massive and so with us we had a built-in level of trust obviously it made it so much easier and so yeah. I, I think that
0: we've mark Can I just jump in because when yeah. you first said trust I assumed you meant between yourself and your sources but you actually mean no. between the people can you say oh, more no, about totally that? no I yeah. mean the
2: trust between you and, and your colleague I yes. just think that's you know because if you don't I mean you know the the process, I mean I think this is true of any reporting, but like on these stories, there's a delicate nature in some ways of the investigative quality of them and sometimes you're talking to people who are really reticent to talk. And so I think that you and your colleague have to be on the same page about how you approach people, or or at least about sort of the the nature of where the story's headed. And um, and if you don't I don't think if you don't have I think if you don't have that trust, it makes it, it just makes the process dramatically more difficult and I almost think impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with
1: that. Like, because I mean, journalism in particular, I think this is probably true of just about any collaboration, but also sort of like any work of, of journalism or, or probably even writing. I mean, I haven't, I haven't written any fiction, but like it, it just involves a series of endless choices that mm-hmm. you're making all the time, mm-hmm. like constantly, like choices around the reporting, choices about what you're going to emphasize in the book. Um, choices about w- where you're going to go and when you when you're going to do it like it's just it, it's it's just endless they're just coming at you constantly and so if you don't have a partner who you're um, who you trust implicitly and can have a dialogue that is based on sort
0: of trust and mutual respect yeah you're, you're, the project is dead of course as you guys started talking I realized that as journalists you've had lots of reporting partners over the years who are not your brother (laughs) so so like is there something you could say specifically about you know the difference of having a partner who where you know the emotional bond is there and it's not going away I mean I mean uh,
2: yeah that's really an interesting question because I I, I've had a mix of um, experiences and I I mean it's funny because I'm I'm I think This process, you know, with I think the emotional bond with Steve is obviously very different than I've got with anybody else I've worked with. And so, but at the same time, I have, all as the younger brother, I have all sorts of insecurities around that. And so, not that I never thought that Steve was not going to stay my brother and stay friends and stay close with me if this didn't work somehow. But I think that there was an added element of pressure to the process Mm. that I didn't feel necessarily with say my colleague who i worked on game of shadows with yeah because it's just a different level of pressure to perform yeah and to deliver and all of those things i mean we we've had this conversation in various ways over the years and steve hates it; he despises the this part of the conversation that's just impatient because <laughs> he, he's really. impatient and he thinks it's sort of bullshit but it's it's my reality so yeah. you know yeah he, i don't he has i don't to live with it I, so I, I, i'm not you, you know, know
1: i i'm i'm not a, in any way like uh deny your reality yeah. i'm just
2: yeah, so it's, so I, I you know, I
0: think it, it sounds like a league of denial. <laughs> it
2: so yes. it's, if it, it creates a different animal for sure. Yeah, you know? I think it's, and and it, and it, it, uh, I think, I think on the one hand, uh, it emboldened the, the, the partnership for sure. Like a hundred percent. Yeah. It, the, the this types of things that Steve just described, we never have, I don't, I can't think of one instance really where we had, a sort of fundamental disagreement about what the story was or how we were going to pursue the book or, or how to move forward. And, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the sort of bond we share and that connection. Um, you know, on the other hand, I think the thing I talked about earlier and in the insecurities around being a younger brother created its own level of tension that at one point, you know, it didn't threaten to implode the book, but it, it certainly, like, created a really difficult sort of period of time for me.
0: Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I've been trying to get my brother to write this book for, with me for a long time, and that's actually really helpful <laughs> because he's like, I mean, he has lots of good reasons. He's much busier than I am, but I, I wonder, you know, I always feel like there's some added element of why he doesn't want to do the project. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, it also made me think that there's this wonderful description. Max Weber has this argument about how capitalism evolved in northern Italy because there were all of these um, kinship networks between the cities where people could rely on each other. Like you uh, could do business with your cousin in Florence if you lived in Venice in a way that you wouldn't do business with some random dude in Florence. Yeah, yeah you
1: know, you, you, you were asking about like the sort of, you know, what happens when it doesn't work. You know, the flip side of that is like when it does work, like when you're working with somebody who are like, where the collaboration is really pure, you know, it's just like the greatest thing. Like, I mean, I, I, I really like collaborating and um, I think, I don't know if I like it more than than working alone, but it's just such a different, qualitatively different experience of doing journalism. And and there's something about like when you're in sync with somebody of being able to sort of, um, you know, screen your ideas and, uh, you know, and just sort of riff and get some feedback and know that you're not going to be judged and or that maybe you are going to be judged, but it's not really going to be something that's you know, that's personal. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I'm doing a book with someone else right now and it's, it's a, it's a totally different relationship, but it's, it is a similar thing. Like I'm really, we have an enormous amount of trust in each other. And so the, the, the creative process of like figuring out yeah. how we're going to prosecute this book is um, it's really, really exciting. And so when it's working, it's like the, basically the opposite of when it's not, Not working, because it's not working, it's like torture. And when it is working, it's like,
0: you know, poetry. It's unbelievable. It's great. I heard you say that, you know, in a way, you've had two decades where you're both, you know, learning how to be reporters. Can you, do you each have like a particular mentor, someone who made a huge impact on you of like how to be a journalist, how to be a reporter? I'd be interested to see how they chime with one another.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it was Phil Bennett who was the, um, uh, I mean, I've had several mentors, you know, when I was, when I was doing, you know, just sports, but I think the the, the person who really helped me kind of like unlock my potential as a journalist yeah. was Phil. Uh, he was the, um, he was the foreign editor of the Boston Globe when I was the Latin America correspondent. Um, I had met him a few years before. Um, then he helped bring me to the post where I um, I worked as an investigative sports writer first, but then I went to the foreign desk where he was the AME for foreign and he was uh, he was in that job when I first went to Iraq and then he became the managing editor. And I think more than anything, like he really, you know, I, I think like, you know, if I had to sort of like, I think of like what my strengths are as a, as a, as a journalist. One of the biggest ones is my ability to kind of see stories, mm-hmm. you know, conceptualize them, mm-hmm. um, sort of see what they might be yeah. and how to, how to execute them. Yeah. And I basically learned that from Phil. Yeah. Like, uh, he, he just thinks at a, at, at a completely different level than any editor I've ever met. And I've seen him do that for other people. I, I'm not unique in that respect. Yeah. I've seen him do that for other.
0: So it's like a kind of an X-ray vision, like you see the bones underneath. Like there's I all of I think this like I can see like everything.
1: yeah. I I think they're they're you know I I, I think I'm, I'm somehow able to take topics or 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 like shards of information yeah. and and kind of piece them together and 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 conceptualize them in a way that they could make for an interesting interesting story or in this case our book or. Um, You know, I mean, I, you know, I, it's, it's
2: a hundred percent true. You know, I mean, it's, it seems, I feel like, so envious of the quality.
1: But I learned that from Phil. Like, yeah. I don't think I would have that if, 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 you know, and it's a really, I, I mean, of skills to have as a journalist, I feel really lucky to have it because, you know, it's just, you know, I, I it helps you pick stories. Like, yeah, like the, 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 the stories you pick is so, it's just, there's, it's so important. Yeah, you know, if you stick yourself with a story that you don't really feel passionately about, right. or it's just kind of a dog of a story, yeah. or you can't do,
0: yeah,
1: um, you know, you're you sort of sunk. And
0: um, so, wait, uh, those are three categories. Yeah, the y- y- ones you don't feel passionately about, right. Ones that are a dog, meaning like it turns out not to be that interesting. Well, that moral. happens. I mean, especially with yeah. investigative reporting. You know, yeah, you know. yeah, and um, then but then the third one is the one that you can't do. Is that
1: yeah, I mean, there's some stories that just, you know, for whatever reason, are, are unmakeable, you know? Like, I mean, I, I say this to... Is there's some vital piece of the jigsaw that's missing, or... You don't have enough time, or you, you just can't get the information yeah. that you need. Um, you know, it can be any number of, of factors. Um, but I think one of the biggest things is not being able to see it, you know? Like, yeah. if you can't see the story, you can't really do it. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I find myself... A lot of the time, you know, just sort of kind of talking and thinking about, okay, well, what, what actually is the, what is it that we're after? Yeah. What is it that we want to really say? Yeah. Um, you know, can we actually get that story, you know, like that? We have, a, I mean, a, probably a like half of our conversations are, are about that really. Um, you know, and I, I find myself have self having those conversations, especially now with my students. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they have 12 weeks, you know, these are the parameters. Um, you know, they're, uh, many of them are just starting out, you yeah. know, so they have to be, they have to pick well, do something they, because if you're not, I feel like if you're not passionate, they have to be passionate about what they're writing about. Yeah. Because it, it, that's another way, I think, to just completely torpedo a story. Like, if you don't believe in it yourself, or you're not really into it. Yeah. You're not
0: curious about it. Yeah.
1: You know, it's it's just going to be, you know, at best kind of flat.
0: Yeah. I hope we get back to talking about teaching actually, because I want to ask you about Mark, if you've taught too, but, but I want to hear about your mentor first.
2: Um, I mean, I, there's sort of, I don't know, I'll cop out and sort of say three, I think three things that led me to sort of where I am, like, or how I've been able to be somewhat successful. I think one is, um, well, one, Steve, oh, pretty obviously. I mean, I just think it's sort of like clear. And, and uh, you know, I mean, Steve's just, he's three years older than I am. And and this is an extension of our my second, like we were we in high school with this amazing journalism program. And so my teachers, the two people who taught me, Sylvia Jones and Don Brown,
0: mm.
2: were um, 100% in addition to Steve, the reason I decided to do this and I wanted to get into it. You know, and it was a, it was like a legitimate, as I look back on it now, it was a legitimate entry into journalism at at the high school level. Wow. You know, they really were pushing the idea of how to do this in a professional way. And so, um, um, and they were just so passionate about it and cared about it so deeply. Um, you know, and then, and then as little brother, I was always watching sort of Steve and where his career was going and, and the level of passion he had. And then, and then over the years, being able to have conversations with him, not only about stories, but about my career and how to shape my career and how to move and change, you know, I think those were those were fundamental sort of parts of, of my development. And then, you know, and then I think, you know, on the the steroids story I worked on, I ended up working with Lance Williams and um, and and I didn't really know Lance when we started working other than just as a colleague at The Chronicle. And this is the San Francisco Chronicle. This is the San Francisco Chronicle. It was yeah. your high school in Marin, but no, what, it was in Marin, it was Redwood High School. Okay, yeah. Right. yeah, Redwood High School, the Redwood Park. Okay, yeah. Yeah. the Redwood
0: Park. It's worse than its bite. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, and uh, and so with Lance at the San Francisco Chronicle, I mean, we ended up partnering on, you know, what I think he thought was going to be a couple of months of reporting and ended mm-hmm. up being several years of reporting, including yeah. our book. And um, he just, you know, he had. Both a different sensibility about the way he went about the job than I did in terms of he's just this very mellow, laid back guy who is really sort of quirky and humorous, but is just ridiculously dogged. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, watching the level not only of his persistence, but he covered cops and courts mm-hmm. previously, and so the, I didn't have a lot of experience in that area. Yeah. So being able to watch him and learn about doc, everything from document hunting to maintaining sources, yeah, you know, those were all sort of critical things for me. And so, so it's
0: sort of a, it's sort of
2: a- Maintaining sources
0: in this sense means like keeping someone who will keep talking to you Yeah, Lance is
2: Yeah, Lance is really good at this. I I never really processed this that much, but he's always really good about talking about once, you know, he'll establish a source and then on one story and then years later, and this actually became really critical in our reporting. He had a source that he developed like 25 years earlier on a totally separate story. And he'd maintained a relationship with that guy for twenty five years, oftentimes not writing stories about what they were talking about, and um, but that guy ended up being a critical source for us. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's really interesting. He he talks about that all the time. How he's just and he's just that kind of guy. He just sort of you know maintains a hold on people. Yeah, That's pretty interesting.
0: So so Steve's phrase is like seeing the whole story. Yeah. Is yours about like the I don't know. The I don't have any. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I, I don't know what my thing is. I mean, yeah. I, I think I, uh, I, I think I, I, I I think if I have something, it's, it's a level of persistence. Yeah. You know, I've, instead of calling one person, I'm going to call six. Yeah. Or, um, you know, and and sort of just continuing to badger people in a nice way, not in a, like, pain in the ass kind of way. Yeah. Or trying to be a nice person or whatever. And so, I think it's, I think that's, i I think that's probably my thing i guess if i have a thing yeah that's he's
1: kind of shortchanging it like so so his if i had to define sort of what his thing is it's really like it's not only the sort of like what he's describing which is true but i mean a lot of people have that there's a certain ingenuity around it that um around sort of like the the capturing of information Mm. and also being able to do it in a way that is, um, completely disarming, you know, that's really rare, you know, investigative reporters, you know, they're kind of a type really. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of them are, 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 I think, you know, like, you know, not to generalize, but I think there is a sort of like, you know, very aggressive, single-minded, um, you know, quality that, you know, can be extremely beneficial. I think Mark Mark has that, but he's able to balance it and just, just completely disarm people. And, and, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why they were able to, to you know, break a story that basically the entire country was, you know, w- w- was trying to chase. And um, uh, so, yeah, it's not... Uh, don't listen to him, really. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad though he mentioned our, our like his, the, the, uh, Don Brown and Sylvia Jones, who, who were yeah. also my yeah. teachers in high school. Yeah. I mean, I, I figured out what I wanted to do when I was like 15 yeah. and I learned it through them and I'd never really like, you know, yeah, I wish I had something. Like I that mean, it's unbelievable. I never, that yeah. was ever, there yeah. was never any, like, I, I'd never thought about really doing anything else. Yeah. Um, and it was really because of them. And, um, yeah, we
0: we're really we we're really fortunate in that, in that respect. 100%. Yeah, and they're still around. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I want to um, I want to sort of take what you guys are saying and connect it to this is something that Steve you mentioned when you presented um, your sort of fellows talk, which is that one of the challenges you guys have faced is reporting people who really don't want stories to come out, and I don't mean individual people. But like, or, you you know, you're going up against organizations like the NBA right now, but clearly the NFL, maybe the U.S. Army or the U.S. State Department. That's a challenge. And I just wanted to hear you guys think about that. It's like different. Yeah, the, the relationship between your stories and these large structures that could pose a threat to you that don't want this information dislodged. You know, what are you, you know? How do you think about that, and what are the tools you have to go into
2: that? That's a part of the job. That I love that. Like, I think that's the the thrill of the job is not. I, I find it much more powerful when we're chasing stories that have to do with uh, institutions than individuals. Um, and I, I don't, and I don't, and I think it's, it's, um, it's not. I, I don't. I don't think I've ever felt threatened by the process. I think I felt emboldened by the process mm-hmm. more than anything. You know, because it's I mean it sounds very corny, but I feel like this is this is in its perfect form. This is what the journalism is supposed to be about, right? Like you should be holding these these institutions accountable. Mm-hmm. And so there's a thrill at being able to do that. I think the you know I think it's it's a. Uh, um you know getting through that bureaucracy I think can be really difficult at times but um, but I don't know I, I, I think you know a lot of people people are very critical of ESPN for all sorts of reasons sometimes very good ones and um, but I think the reality of the place we, we're at is like we're writing about our business partners pretty regularly mm-hmm. you know um, massive business partners I mean the NFL ESPN pays the NFL, Two billion dollars a year, right? For Two and a half. Two and a half billion dollars a year, billion
0: mm-hmm.
2: for the rights to Air Monday Night Football. Yeah, and other you know related shows, and so um, I I found the you know the idea of being able to do a book that that cut to the core of the league's presence, um, you know, uh, thrilling. Mm-hmm. You know, not intimidating, not fear-inducing. And I don't think that's because I'm like any it's the courageous thing. I just think like that's the journalism, you know? I don't know, that's a sort of simplistic answer probably, but but that's sort of how I feel about it. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean
1: I I don't I, I mean it's like that's 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 part of the thrill. You know, you're you know, you're you're like two guys just kind of rooting around and you know, and, and you know, in our case, you know, the, the NFL was um, uh you know, not thrilled with what we were doing. And uh um I don't know that they actively tried to well I guess when it came to the film they they, yeah, they, yeah, they, they actively they would... tried to stop us. But but like you know it, it just feels like <laughs> I don't want to like say this cavalierly or, or sort of like in a, in a um, kind of dismissive way. I think this is just kind of part of the deal, right? You know, it's, it's like, a, you know, you, you have a situation where there's a, you know, a major public health issue that that thousands, if not millions of people are trying to, you know, understand so they can make decisions either about their own lives or about. Uh, their kids or you know whatever the NFL is the biggest actor in you know in this drama and um, and so figuring out kind of how they're handling it and what they're doing that just feels like you know journalism 101 to me Mm -hmm. really and so I mean we were very transparent with the NFL I mean we told them what we were doing we went to New York and we tried to persuade them to cooperate with our project and, um, you know, ultimately they wouldn't do it. I mean, I never took it personally. I mean, they're, it's a massive corporation. Like, you know, I, I mean, I think I probably said this in that talk, you know, like in my experience, like when it comes down to these kinds of issues, whether it's the NFL or the State Department or, you know, any other sort of massive entity, like they're, they're it's inst- the, 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 whatever, <laughs> Whatever that entity is, you know, its instinctive reaction is to hunker down, mm-hmm. defend, attack. You know, that's sort of what these things do almost universally, and uh, it just feels like it's part of the part of the deal to me.
2: But it is also like, I mean, it's sort of a thrill, right? Like, I, I mean, we work in a network in which ninety-nine percent of the material on the network is either. Sort of celebratory of sport, mm-hmm. or uh, or at least just airing the sport, and I'm not critical of that. That's what pays our salaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but then to be able to sort of like flip that a little bit and do something
0: that that um, that
2: takes a hard look at those those leagues is
0: you know it's thrilling. Yeah. Well, so what about I, I, I you guys are the experts, so you will correct the nature of the question. But it's like about what about when you're breaking those questions about um, institutions. Like, Steve, I'm thinking about your pul- your series in Iraq about the contractors. You're talking about the institution, but you're doing it by way of individuals. Like, you're kind of going through individual stories. Right. Does that pose its own particular set of ethical quandaries? Because mm. you're a- and, like you're aiming at that larger structure, but the cracks you're going through have to do with people's individual stories. Does that... What would be the ethical issue? I don't know. Like, you know, like you know, you have to name names of particular people who are involved. You know, I was really aware of this with that, um, the, the, uh, Patrick Rodden Keefe book, empire of pain, mm. where he's getting at this, the, uh, you know, he's, he's getting at the Sackler family, yeah. but he has to do it by blowing open particular moments where, People did humiliating things, like take money to write an article or something. Yeah. And you can tell that he's not angry. You know, he's not, like, interested in that person. He's interested in the network of deceit that was going on behind it. Yeah. But you have to go through the person because you have to, you know, you have to open the story. So I guess, I don't know. Maybe the answer is you only tell the positive stories that help you get at the negative, but... uh, I don't don't know. I mean...
1: I don't know. I mean, in the case of that story, yeah. you know, I had been in Iraq for, you know, two two years at that point. And, um, you know, I had written positive stories. Then the war wasn't going well, so a lot of negative stories and a lot of sort of neither, right? Just stories. Yeah. And, um, you know, so this was just a phenomenon that I had you know, noticed was out there that there was this large group of sort of, uh, you know, mercenaries basically who were, um, had carte blanche to run around the battlefield and do whatever it was that they were doing. Like, I don't think I really understood what their role was. I mean, except in a very kind of general way. Yeah. And so when I got into it, my first, um, You know, my my first goal was to understand that. And the only way to do that was through individual stories to, like, go to companies and ask them, ask people, like, why are you there? What do you do? How much are you paid? You know, what is your contractual relationship with the U.S. government or the State Department? Like, what are the rules of engagement? Um, How much violence are you, have you experienced? You know, just like all of that stuff was a complete mystery to me. And when I got into it, it became, you know, it it did not take an investigative reporter to see that the whole thing was, like, completely out of control. And, um, you know, and once that happened, I had to go to the institutions because the institutions were technically, you know, the ones who were overseeing this entire, um, you know, system that had emerged, you know, within the sort of inside the war. Yeah. And, um, so I didn't feel, you know, that just well, felt like a kind of a natural thing.
2: To me. I know, but I think to, I think to John's question, if I'm, if I'm getting it right, like, so, you know, you end up developing close relationships with some of those people, the yeah. individuals. Right. And, 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 and some of that stuff is not the, some of the things they're doing or involved in or the dynamic that they're involved in is not necessarily reflecting that great on them. And so if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, I think you're getting at this question of like, you know, how do you balance that idea of, you know, you're developing these sources who wanna cooperate, you and be helpful, but they're not always gonna look that great themselves. You know? Yeah, I, I, I mean,
1: I guess, you know, it's sort of a, uh, it becomes a little bit more complicated, sort of like the, I think the, the, the sort of the less authority that people have, like, you know, for, so like for the contractors themselves, Like I never felt any, um, uh, I guess, like judgment around them taking the job because to me they were no different than like lobbyists who had worked in government and then were capitalizing on their skills. Like these were almost universally people who had been in the military and were making like 10 times as much money as they did in the military doing exactly the same job with less oversight and supervision. So yeah. it was it was just like I didn't have any real judgment, and it was sanctioned by the U.S. government. So I had I had zero. But I but what happened within that framework was you know a lot of really reprehensible things. And so to the extent that people were getting involved, you know, and being you know paid essentially by taxpayers, and they were getting involved in activities that were um, you know that that were. Problematic. Then I, I don't. I not really have any problem writing those things. I mean, there were, there were people that I wrote about who I really ended up being close with, or being close with their families, and um, you know. And so I think some of the material that ended up in you know, in particularly my book, was um, difficult. I think. Yeah. But I think the relationships were such at that point that they knew what was going in the book and. I, you know, I talked about it with them and, and, um, and, and they, and they had not themselves done anything. Like I wasn't
0: accusing. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: But I think that's the, I I do think the critical piece to that is a level of transparency. Cause I I think being transparent with those sources early on about where this is going to go and the potential for how it's going to look and all that, but also describing your own motivations is really sort of a key piece to convincing people to talk to you, that there's a reason to talk to you, even if it's going kind to of prove to be uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. I feel like you guys are putting a finger on something really important here which is that your role as investigative reporter and ultimately like journalist writing it up is like partly you, you have your own set of judgments about how you feel about people. But like when you what you were describing Steve about like the people who take this higher paid job working, you know, outside the military structure and you're saying you have no judgment against them. But your job as a reporter is partly to tell their story. And I just know that there are people who do read that and they they don't pass judgment against the institution. They think they focus on the individual. But in a way, that suggests you're doing your job right, which is like you're making it available for people to feel one way or the other about these people.
1: Well, I I think that, like, you know, I mean, we learned this with the NFL. I mean, there, there are certain truths that people just do not want to hear. Yeah. You know, like. When we, I mean, when we were writing the NFL book and we started going on the radio, you know, people were asking us, like, why do you, why do you guys want to kill football? Yeah. You know? And we were like, you got to be kidding me. Like, really? And, and, you know, but, and I think it's just because... You know, people get very protective you
0: yeah. know, around the war or around the, the totally. sport. But Steve, you and I have gone back and forth on this about football. I think it's a really interesting one. And Mark, I'd love to hear your thoughts too, because like I, I shared with Steve that my brother just doesn't want to hear about concussions at all. He loves right. watching football. Yeah. He watches it with his son. It's great. He doesn't want to see it. Now, you guys, I know, are football fans. And yet you wrote the story about mm-hmm. this incredible impact. And, and I, so my brother doesn't want to hear it. I do want to hear it, but the result of my wanting to hear it is that I don't want to watch football anymore. Yeah. But you guys want to hear the story, you broke the story, and yet you also still love football.
2: The- yeah, there's yeah. a yeah, <laughs> there's a level of our own denial, I think for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I you know, I, I like I just, uh, I mean, it's funny because I, I, I think. You know, people, people, I think one of the values of the reporting, not just ours, but any, is that you're exposing people to truths and and people can then make their own decisions about it. And I I, I certainly don't have any judgment for anybody who decides after finding out the level of exposure that like, I can't be a part of that.
0: I can't contribute to that. Um, Like I'm dreading the day when the concussion data comes about soccer. And it turns yeah. out because if that happened, I would just—I don't know what I would do. I would just weep, you know, watch cricket. I don't know. Well, they've already—they've yeah. already eliminated heading for, yeah, for I young know. people too. Believe so. me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I—I I don't know. I just—I
2: mean, look, I think that the they're amazing athletes. The sport's incredible, and um, and I find myself—I think I watch differently than I used to, for sure, and I cringe in different ways than I used to, but. Um, I'm I'm more I don't know, I find myself more bothered by the, the league's uh uh sort of like um, belief that the world begins and ends with them than than sort of anything else than the other issues. They're dealings with things like Kaepernick and they're dealings with things like uh, you know domestic s- violence domestic violence Yes. and you know, I'm 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 more you know the 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 concussion issue is it's not that it's over um but you know it, it is now been exposed in a fairly wide way and if a player is yeah. playing they understand it i think it's a different question at the youth issue the, at the you know the youth level but but for the nfl it is sort of what it is and i i, I you know the sport is an yeah. inherently violent sport that's what yeah. it is and so i think you just have to understand that and accept
0: it yeah 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 and that makes a lot of sense yeah um uh, so we're sort of pivoting towards the end here, but I really wanted to ask you guys just sort of continuing this topic of reporting up, you know, against these big institutions, you're working on the NBA in China now, right? So we did it. We, we have. We, yeah. Would you feel like you're done? Oh, is that it? Or are you, yeah. we're, we're done on, I don't know if we're done on China. We might be done on China,
2: but we're, we're still really interested in the NBA and, and, right. uh, but we did a lot on China. We've, we've done a few,
0: several stories on China. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's so sort of same? Do you have the same general conclusion there? Like, you haven't felt personally threatened at all? It doesn't feel impacted. No, no the only time I ever were you scared of Adam Silver? No,
2: terrified. Of no, I, I, I think the only time I've ever, and it was not, I didn't feel physically threatened. The only time I ever felt um, any level of like really deep, deep ugly hatred was around the steroid stuff because the level of, of emails we would get and phone calls and messages were just vitriol. I mean, it was just like, you know, and and most people, you know, they, the, you know, email enables, and emboldens people, right? Um, they just feel like you don't exist as a human. And so they'll just say absolutely anything. And so Giants fans who hated the reporting because we were reporting largely on Barry Barry Bonds, Bonds.
0: Yeah you know
2: they just were you know and then and then when we were when we were looking at a, you know possible prison sentence for the reporting you know that, that emboldened people even more to say all sorts of you know right. crazy stuff but you didn't get that
0: with the concussion stuff no mm-hmm. we did
2: we got a lot of like Steve said why do you hate football or, why yeah. are you trying to kill football yeah that kind of stuff but not not the kind of vitriol we got on on, uh, on bombs and steroids it's funny to me that, like the the
1: question is honestly like kind of amusing to me. Yeah, like what, like 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 the like somehow the NFL is gonna like are are you you know like worried about like
0: the NFL like what they're gonna do to you? Well, you I, know, I like, would say as an academic with. China, I'm really worried about academic freedom stuff because I've seen that at my university. No, like the I Chinese that, government is trying to use funding as a lever. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Yeah. I think that. Yeah. yeah,
1: but there was sort of like a. It's almost like in uh, in the Will Smith movie, like where the NFL is like supposedly like following right. people around. You know, like that that stuff. The NFL is not going to be like they're not that sinister. You know, like they're they're not they're they're a corporation. You know, so they're protecting their they're, they're protecting their business, but they're not, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I never felt like threatened by them. I mean, the, the most we got threatened really was when they, you know, when they tried to, when they pressured ESPN to withdraw from the, you know, from the documentary and that was super uncomfortable for sure. Um, but, uh, but it wasn't like a physically. it wasn't like, you know, like I felt in Iraq or anything like that. And I mean, there were, you know, I think there were issues in Iraq not so much around the institutions actually, because the institutions respond institutionally. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so like when the NFL put pressure on, on ESPN to get out of the documentary, that to me was an institutional response designed to protect their relations their, you know the relationships with the business partner, protect their brand, you know, like all of that stuff, which, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like but, you know, in, in Iraq, there was just a lot of, like, you know, it's just, there were not a lot of rules, you know, and, and so I, I don't think I ever felt like um, physically threatened by a particular person. But, um, but the environment, you know, in which you were doing the reporting was, you know, was obviously, uh, you know, the mm. environment
2: being a war. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, you're, you're trying to do investigative reporting, yeah. you know, so, yeah. so like, um,
2: yeah. But, I, but I don't think, but I think you're right. Like, I think China, I mean, I think we were, you know, I think as we did the reporting, there were questions around, like, not our safety, but just like, do we yeah. have to worry about this? You know, we were looking a lot of, like, like you know, one story had a lot to do with, with AI in China yeah. and its use. And and so, I, you know, I think we were always talking about, are there issues that we need to be protective of the work, but never... Physically threatened. Yeah. And I, I think that's the same. I mean, I, I I did a story that took me to Russia, and, and, you know, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, my phone and all sorts of right. laptop issues and those kinds of things. But not, I never, I, I don't think, I, I can't think of a situation where I felt physically threatened by, by what we do. No. Uh, I mean, we were trying to be
1: protective of, of sources, you yeah, know? for
0: sure. Yeah.
1: Um, and protective of information, you yeah. know, for, like,
0: hacking or surveillance actually that was the final set of questions that i had for you guys which is sort of like looking back over a couple of decades what things have made doing the work you do easier and what things have made them harder like for example i don't know whether foia works better now than it did in the past or Mm -hmm. other ways that you get information you know things that are advantageous about the world of the net and not having to be in the same place with someone versus disadvantages now Mm -hmm. um Question. it is a good question I mean some of them are basic things like I, I mean I think
2: you know largely the the net has made things dramatically easier in a mm-hmm. lot of ways in terms of research um, and finding material and accessing material and you know I mean there's that there's that famous scene in uh, in spotlight where those guys are rifling through like old phone books or whatever right and you know in the archive at the Boston Globe and yeah. you know those days are over yeah so you know that's nice but um And so I you know, I think I don't I don't know, I'm not a FOIA expert, but it would be interesting. I mean, it strikes me that that institutions are dramatically more emboldened to hold back material and have become much more legally savvy or found ways to
0: to get around it. I Uh I don't know how true that is. It just that's how it feels to me. Um, Well, the source maintaining that you were describing, Mark, like that thing that you're, you know, you learned from Lance, I guess, about like keeping, does that still hold true? Like, I think definitely, I I think that the the elements of the job remain like
2: that, that hasn't changed. Like it's fundamentally about developing relationships and, and convincing people to trust you, Mm -hmm. you know? um, I mean, there's a different animal around getting documents and finding that material, but I think in terms of, of, Getting people to talk to you and and keeping sources in the way that Lance has described, or, um, um, or you know, being transparent around why you want somebody to talk to you and giving them a motivation mm-hmm. to talk to you, none of that changes, I don't think. You know, I think it's all about it's all about developing relationships and trust. You know, I mean, we were talking about trust earlier, and obviously, we were talking about in the context of partnerships, mm-hmm. but it's fundamental in dealing with sources. Obviously, I mean, you have to have. People have to, you know, I think people generally, a lot of people do want to talk, but they have to trust you, you know, especially in sensitive situations like this. That,
1: you know, I think the other thing that's really changed is that, um, you know, kind of like both the role of the media in society and the perception of the media, you know, like we were, we started off talking about trust and I, I don't think there is a lot of trust. Well, there isn't, you know, there's not a lot of trust yeah. in the media. Um, it's certainly not in the way when we first got involved. And 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 it's not as, I, I guess I would say it's, it's like, it's not as treated with the same degree of, um, I don't know, I guess, you know, respect the institution of the, me- you know, of the media. You know, there's just a lot of, there's been an erosion of that over the last, you know, over the last 10 years. And I think that probably... It's hard to know to quantify, but it feels like that probably has an effect on your ability to do
0: your job. Your job and, yeah. And um, it'd be really interesting to circle back to your teachers and see if their students now are still feeling the same thing that you guys felt like, you know
1: Well, like if, I was like talking about they the, can
0: reach students the same way. You know, yeah. the thing is it's like I, I mean,
1: I showed the first nine minutes of all the presidents men in yeah. my class. You yeah. know, it's the fiftieth anniversary. Yeah yeah watergate and um you know so that movie came out in 1976. i graduated from high school in 1980. yeah um you know the media i mean people were flooding into journalism schools people were creating investigative reporting units within their papers you know there were people like me and other people who were just like wanted to be you know carl bernstein or you know wanted to be really
0: dustin hoffman or robert redford i just want to close one final loop which is like steve you've been teaching this semester i don't know mark do you ever do any teaching so any I thoughts taught about high that? school
2: for a little bit oh cool and, yeah uh, and i miss it and i I, yeah. I have an interest in teaching at the college level but i haven't yeah. I haven't gotten a gig yeah so i'd love to do it at some point i think it's you know i mean I, I, anybody who wants to get into this world i think you know i just want to help because i do think it's you know as corny as it sounds it's completely you know at its purest it's an admirable thing to do and it's critical yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah, it'd be fun to track your students, Steve. Like ten years from now, see yeah. how many of them have ended up as reporters. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: uh, true. How many of you inspired to <laughs> greatness?
0: <laughs> inspired to, to to throw over their lives for <laughs> <laughs> unclear rewards. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Mark, Steve, thank you guys both very much. This is a great conversation. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks, John. Thank so, you. Thank you, of, you for thanks, John.
0: Recall this book was founded by Elizabeth Ferry and me, John Plotz. It is sponsored by Brandeis and the Mandel Humanities Center. Sound editing is by Naomi Cohen, website design, and social media by Miranda Peary of the English Department. We're eager to hear your comments, criticisms, and thoughts. If you liked what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at RTB, thanks for listening.